Word, I'm gonna say the word. In the beginning was the word. What? Word. 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 Was the word. From the studios of KJZZ in Phoenix, Arizona, welcome to Word, a podcast about literature in Arizona and the region. Here's your host, Tom Maxidon. Coming up on this episode of Word, the former Phoenix Poet Laureate takes her poem a cappella with the Phoenix Chorale. It was a fantastic process for me to experience because I've never worked in that capacity with artists of another genre. Plus, the Valley Poet is releasing a trilogy of haiku. Haiku are small but mighty, and it's like they're a seed pod almost. They're waiting to open with the reader's attention. And as National Haiku Writing Month comes to a close, so does KJZZ's annual haiku writing contest. The theme this year was things that bring you hope or joy. Our winner this year is from Mesa, who wrote a poem called Arizona Citrus. I put it in my mouth, and of course, juice is dripping everywhere. And that was sort of the inspiration for all these mandarins just barely touching the ground. But first, my KJZZ reporting colleague Christina Estes was recently awarded the Tony Hillerman Prize for Best First Mystery Novel. The book is set in Phoenix and centers on a news reporter who gets a tip about the murder of a radio host, and it's due out next year. After time away from the University of Arizona campus due to the pandemic, the Tucson Festival of Books returns March 12th through 13th. And as Christina reports, some refer to the festival as a literary Disneyland. For New York Times bestselling author J.A. Jantz, it feels like coming home. I'm delighted to be going back to my alma mater. Jantz grew up around Bisbee, taught at a Tucson high school, and writes two mystery series based in Arizona. Of the nearly 300 authors invited this year, Jance is among only three who've attended every festival since it began in 2009. I was nervous for the festival. I wanted, I really wanted them to pull it off, and, and they did. During the depths of the Great Recession, the Tucson Festival of Books emerged. Co-founder Bill Viner remembers being nervous about how many people would show up. Joy replaced jitters when he heard traffic on Speedway Boulevard had backed up to get on campus. I think people... We're really looking for something, you know, something to do to get outside, to enjoy themselves, take their mind off of whatever had been bothering them in the previous years. Kind of like today, except attendance has almost tripled from 50,000 the first year to 140,000 10 years later, making it one of the largest book festivals in the country. It's really important to us that the community gets this, that it's free for the community, So anyone who wants to attend can. Melanie Morgan, the festival's executive director, says people describe it as a literary Disneyland. You can find Where else can you find acrobats performing Peter Pan, cookbook authors preparing dishes, C-SPAN broadcasting author panels, and families flocking to Science City? There's going to be rockets launching this year. Um, There's going to be a lot of really fantastic areas um, where kids can observe through telescopes. Thanks to sponsors, foundations, and exhibitor sales, the festival has raised more than $2 million for literacy programs in southern Arizona. So it's been close to two and a half years since I will have done a live event. Author Gigi Pondian booked her first flight since the pandemic started to make her first appearance in Tucson. I'm going to be so excited by everything, I think. Like many people, Pandian is ready to break up with Zoom. 
if you're in line waiting for, for, uh, for a signing or if you find yourself sitting next to someone, there's all sorts of conversations and connections that wouldn't necessarily be the ones that you would have selected and opted into for a virtual event, but, um, but are so many of the, the wonderful experiences that we have that we haven't planned for. Those connections can come in unexpected ways, as J.A. Jans discovered. One of my fans who is blind said, you know, when blind people come to events like this, it's really sort of overwhelming. She asked Bill Viner to help. And he set it up and had me in the student union for an hour with 25 people, their guide dogs, and their caregivers. Please extend a warm Tucson welcome for Kwame Alexander. The Volunteer Run Festival attracts a wide range of authors and speakers. This year's lineup includes NPR's Scott Simon, actor A. Martinez, and Pulitzer Prize winner Viet Thanh Nguyen. But for J.A. Jantz, one name will always stand out. A number of years ago, I received a note from a reading coach at Literacy Connects. And she said one of her clients, a 59-year-old woman, was learning to read, and she was learning to read using my books. That woman was Marsha, and Jantz sent her a note of encouragement. The next time Jance was in Tucson for an event at a bookstore, a woman approached and said, I'm Marsha. Then, a few years later, as Jance and other authors were leaving a stage at the Tucson Festival, she spotted Marsha in the front row. I said, hey, you guys, I want you to know that this is a woman who learned to read through Literacy Connects, a charity supported by the Tucson Festival of Books. Marsha told the author she'd finished one of her series and started another. By then, Jantz said, Marsha had a new job, supervising 14 employees. She said, someone at work said, well, why don't I just listen to the audiobooks? And I told them, no, I want to read every word. Marsha's story is a big reason why Jantz has no plans to close the book on the Tucson Festival. Christina Estes, KJZZ News, Phoenix. You can find out a bit more about the Tucson Festival of Books in March and also Christina's reporting on our website, word.kjzz.org. I'm Tom Maxidon, and you're listening to Word, a podcast about literature in Arizona and the region. KJZZ is investigating your questions as part of a reporting project called Q&AZ. Like any landmark, the origin of Silly Mountain's name has many different stories. Arizona has probably some of the widest temperature swings. The building materials expand and contract significantly. In addition to durability, Concrete Block provides homes with more privacy and insulation than competitors. You can ask a question at qaz.kjzz.org. KJZZ's car donation program accepts all types of vehicles to support the programs you rely on. Whether it's a boat, car, truck, or RV, donating is easy and a great way to support your public radio station. Details at cars.kjzz.org. Welcome back to Word. I'm Tom Axedon. Rosemary Dombrowski served as the first and only Phoenix Poet Laureate. She teaches at Arizona State University, and two years ago she was chosen by Kira Zeman Rugen a soprano and composer with Phoenix Chorale, to write a poem about the mythological Phoenix with the intent of the work being turned into an a cappella song and performed in a concert by the group in 2020. 
But as with so many scheduled performances, the concert that was to include her poem was shelved in 2020 due to the start of the pandemic. But things have changed now, and Phoenix Chorale is offering Rebirth, a concert that features Rosemary's poem, which is now a song. This was a very different kind of writing project. I'd written poems for the city before. I'd written poems for the mayor. I'd written poems for public events. And those involved, you know, me just sort of mining my own memories of Phoenix. Uh, This was different. You know, she wanted us to do mythological research. She wanted us to do literary research. She had already done a lot of that, that she passed along to me. And so what she was hoping for was this sort of amalgamated portrait of a phoenix. Of course, I was very pro-desert imagery. I wanted everything to be the flora and fauna of the Sonoran Desert. And so I think we did a pretty good job of meeting in the middle. So we used a lot of the mythology of the phoenix to create the actual creature of the phoenix, but we imposed the phoenix into a setting that was very Phoenician and Sonoran, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I just want to read part of the poem, Out of the Ash. A lonely bird appears, heavy in the clouds, his breath transforming clay into gold, bird of paradise, celestial dragon in the rain, his blinding (laughs) wings outstretched in desperate prayer. A lot of visual in a lyric and it's that might be it's my hard fault. to, it's yeah, hard that to carry be that out though i mean because <laughs> when you're singing and when i think of chorale that's different than opera in most cases the chorus is standing there firm but i don't know there's something that makes me energized that makes me see movement where there might not be i don't know if that makes sense it does. You know, when you read the phrase desperate prayer, I thought, well, yeah, I definitely, <laughs> I definitely fought to keep that in. I think there were probably instances in which Kira helped me pare down the imagery. I think there were instances in which my lines had too many syllables. Right. And so there was a lot of shaving and cutting. There were a lot of changes in terms of word choice because she would go home and sing the version that I had sent her and certain things just weren't working metrically or rhythmically. So it was a fantastic process for me to experience because I've never worked in that capacity with artists of another genre. I think poets are used to working with visual artists. And the way that plays out, Tom, is that the visual artist creates something and then we write something about right, it. I mean, right. Not to dumb down that process, but that is typically the extent of the collaboration. And this was literally me putting like six, seven, eight drafts on the page and Kira then having to bring those drafts alive with the instrument of her voice and then having to come back to me and say, okay, these are all the places where it's not working. And there were a lot, a lot of places where it wasn't working. So it was, I thought, just a really dynamic, amazing process. And what I felt was a true collaboration. And how long did that collaboration last? This is not something that, you know, a couple of weeks you correspond and then it's over, right? No, I was going to say it was more like a couple months. I mean, we had to go back and forth a couple months. And and I know that there were maybe three initial drafts uh, that were three entirely different poems. And so that's kind of where we started. And then she selected the one that she liked the narrative of maybe the best. And then we started the massive 
reworking. I, I mean, I have to call it an overhauling. We started the overhauling from there together. Uh, we moved lines, we moved stanzas, we changed words, we shaved things off, we cut things out. She made me exchange words. And when I say made me, what I mean is that, you know, she would come back to me very respectfully and tell me what wasn't working and give me some suggestions. And if I wasn't okay with the suggestions, I would send her more suggestions. And so we would go back and forth until we were both very comfortable with what we settled on. You know, she wanted to make sure that she wasn't putting, you know, words into my poem that I would not have put there. And so it was, it was a long process because it was so dynamic and because it was so interactive, but I was extraordinarily appreciative of that because I don't know that every composer would have been that amenable to that degree of interaction. (laughs) Is this for an ensemble or is this a solo that's going to be featured in what they're calling rebirth? It's an ensemble. And Kira and I have met a couple of times recently to talk about it. And it's acapella as well. Oh, wow. And I I know I, I can't, I I can't imagine, and I don't even want to imagine, I want to be slayed by it the first time (laughs) I hear it. It's a chorus that encompasses male and female voices, all ranges, obviously. And the thing that Kira loves to point out is that, you know, we both wanted the Phoenix to be (laughs) female. We wanted a feminine Phoenix, but in the mythology, you know, the the Phoenix is is sort of shape-shifting and gender-bending, if you will. And so in our poem, the Phoenix begins as gender-neutral, and then it takes on the masculine pronouns, and then it takes on the feminine pronouns. I noticed that, and then it ends with a collective pronoun "we," and oh, I, I right, love right. I love how it that. how yes, it wraps that yes. up because yes. the renewal comes in the celebration of "we" and the celebration yes. of the collective, right? It does. It reminds me of the Adrian Rich poem, that wonderful seminal poem of hers that came out of you know second wave feminism, diving into the wreck where she's talking about, you know, resuscitating the history that is unwritten, you know, that of marginalized peoples. And she, you know, begins by referring to that as, as she, and then she underwater as she's sort of, you know, diving into this wreck of history and trying to resuscitate it. You know, of course the he is there as well. And then she blends the two into the we by the end of the poem. And it's just, you know, Walt Whitman does it as well in Song of Myself. It's such a powerful, communal symbol. I don't think that it is relegated to gender identity. It is about the need for us to recognize our humanity and to come together as one humanity. So it's it's thrilling to be a part of something like that. It's an honor, really. Out of the Ash is a poem by Rosemarie Dombrowski and now an acapella song as well with composer Kira Rugen and the Phoenix Chorale. They have a great set of concerts coming up. March 18th is when it begins. It's called Rebirth. We call them friends. You were with us last year. And Rosemarie, I want to thank you so much for coming back to Word and talking to us. Thank you so much, Tom. It's great to catch up with you. You can find out a bit more about Rosemarie Dombrowski and the Phoenix Chorale concert entitled Rebirth that features her poem, Out of the Ash. Find out more info at our website, word.kjzz.org. I'm Tom Maxidon, and you're listening to Word, a podcast about literature in Arizona and the region. I'm Jay Ellison, producer of The Moth Radio Hour, and I hope you'll join us for our show here on KJZZ. 
with true personal stories told live without notes to standing room crowds around the world. Moss shows are renowned for the range of human experience they reveal. Moss stories aren't part of the disposable daily information flow. They stick with you. The Moth Radio Hour airs Saturday at 3 on KJZZ. These days, making connections takes just a few taps. If you want to share something that you think KJZZ should know, fill us in. You can find all the ways to send in a tip. Just go to tips.kjzz.org. Welcome back to Word. I'm Tom Maxidon. Our next guest is a Valley poet who's releasing a trilogy of haiku. On the heels of last year's book, The Love Around Us, Lolly Bond's new book, Mysteriously, dropped this month. It'll be followed by Watercolor Rendered Words in April and Leave Us in the Now this summer. So why three books of haiku instead of just one? And was that decision motivated at all by the typical three-line structure of a haiku? You know, haiku are small but mighty. And as I was organizing it, I realized that the three sections I had felt really crowded. So it became a trilogy. (laughs) And uh, actually, each of those titles for the books are aligned from a singular haiku that I wrote about a year ago. So the first is Mysteriously that comes out this month, and then roughly sometime in April, watercolor rendered words. And then hopefully by June, sort of tentative, leave us in the now. So you're saying those are titles of poems in each of those individual collections. Um, Actually, it's a singular poem, so if you put it together. Yeah, Mysteriously, watercolor rendered words, leave us in the now. Which is a haiku. I just got it. Originally, the whole volume was just going to be the title would be the the haiku. But uh, like I said, when I started organizing it, it was very clear that each section was very unique and different from the others. How do you make that judgment call? Because I know a lot of people, for instance, they arrange poems by the date. I wrote this on Wednesday, January, whatever. Uh, some people maybe by month, some people by season. Great question. Well, I started out with all of my poems and and got rid of the ones that were clearly absolute duds. And and then um, just themes started to emerge. And so mysteriously is really, there are these poems that I've written that that to me feel like nuggets, like they're really self-contained. They're not, not like some of the other haiku I've written that are more evocative of something. And they feel like well, like I said, self-contained, but it's like they're a seed pod almost, Tom. It's like they're waiting to open with the reader's attention. Oh, that's so beautiful. they're just super different from like what comes in the second volume. A lot of your social media feed combines photos and poems with a great deal of inspiration from nature. And you just said seed pod. And that's what made me think about that. Is that the <laughs> most common denominator for your breadth of haiku? I'd say that nature is definitely uh, my go-to, and that's true in my life and my writing both. I love to be outdoors. I love to walk. I love to hike. Um, Anything I can do really to be outside is something that I love. And then most of my haiku are very um, experience-oriented. So I write them weekly, and it could be anything from, you know, that great sushi I ate to... Um, a a total epiphany I had. And so sometimes though, I might be going through either a lot of joy or a lot of grief, and I really can't distill that inner landscape that I might be trying to portray into 17 syllables. 
And when those times happen, and I know I have to get a haiku out, I, I almost always turn to nature just because it's so fascinating. And I mean, there, it's just an endless source of inspiration to me. It could be cactus or a rock or whatever, but it's pretty amazing. How do you work on compaction? That's the hallmark, I think, for classic haiku, because as we've talked in the past, some people adhere strictly to the 17-syllable count. Others say that's not necessary. And in fact, in Japanese, it's the original language is not 17 syllables. It's just the English translation happens to be that way. Right. That's a good point. And I've been playing a lot uh, more lately, not on my list, but um, for myself, I've been playing more with really short, like how short can I make something and still make an impact and make an impression or a visual. Um, but for the haiku list that I send out and, and for my social media as well, I generally adhere to 17 syllables, but the compaction is, um, you know, sometimes it's just a word that stands out to me. And then it, like this week, I used the word caterwaul in association with traffic. And I live really close to the 51 here in Phoenix. And I struggle with the sound because I just want to hear something natural. <laughs> but this week it was like motorcycle shrieking and <laughs> traffic in the caterwaul. And, and uh, I think probably. the last line was like, just listen to the, to the clouds, you know, <laughs> it's like, I just right. want to, I just want to hear the birds or whatever. Yeah, no. I, and I love the idea though, that it's like, you can see something that's natural, right? But your mind or your ears are filled with unnatural sounds. Yes. Cars are made by yeah. humans, but it's not <laughs> the same at all. Right. And I love cars. I mean, I, and if anybody out there has read The Love Around Us, there are several car centric essays in there, but I do like to be able to just have some quiet and, and be still and listen for like the words that sort of come and find me. So a lot of the time a word will come up and I'll wonder like, huh, why salutations? And if I work with it, it's like, I realize it's got something to tell me and, and that's where the poem will come from. Well, also, I was going to say that's four out of seven in terms of uh, <laughs> syllable count, too. I mean, if we're being practical, right? Right. That's true. <laughs> and that one actually came from a dream. It was like I got an NFL ticket that had like oh, wow. a haiku on it. And one of the words in it was, was salutation. I was like, God, that's such an old fashioned sounding word. As far as his weekly releases are concerned, 52 weeks in a year with three collections, obviously there's more than 52 poems. So how long have you these poems been brewing and been waiting to be revealed on the page for others to read. I've been writing haiku like this in a weekly format since 2007. So when I sat down to start looking at them and I kind of did that almost right after the love around us came out, I had over 600 to look at. Oh man. And <laughs> so, you know, I might do, I might look at like one year at a time and pull out, and I just like do it real quick, you know, like pull out what stood out to me. And then it was just a winnowing, like absolutely not, you know, and cross <laughs> one out or whatever. And then I started to try and organize them. And at that point, I had decided that the title would be the haiku that we talked about, but they just sort of organized themselves into sections. And yeah, it just needed to be three separate things. <laughs> Do you find sometimes when you're looking back through past poems 
you liked the idea at the time, but you're like, uh, I don't, this doesn't fit, but I still sort of enjoy this sentiment. What if I changed a word or two words? Did you have any like that where they ended up making them in where at first you thought, eh, maybe this doesn't work? Absolutely. And I think some of them are still sort of rearranging a bit, especially in compiling them. It's like, you know, they're over 14 years, something like that. And in the themes, it'd be like, oh, I use that word a lot or whatever. So I might change something to a different word. But because, you know, each haiku is like a Polaroid for me. Some people take selfies. Right. This is like, this is like my way of chronicling my world, right? So I can drop right back into that moment where I was hiking with a good friend in the Colorado Rockies. And we saw these beautiful birds like in the same moment. And I thought, okay, but how can I describe that one thing that's that I've said, you know, like three haiku ago or whatever into a different word. So that was really kind of fun for me, but I didn't want to change the essence of it. I just wanted to tweak it just a little. And and in some ways I felt that was better. And then there were some that just like refused to budge. You know, they, they don't, some of them don't adhere to that five, seven, five. And, uh, and I make a disclaimer about that (laughs) at some point, because, because I like them, doggone it. Right. And you're the author. So they should be in there (laughs) if I want them. Right. And then an editor comes along and says, eh, nah. Yeah. (laughs) That totally happened to me. But one of my big trip up words is every day or something like that. Because to me, every is not every, it's not two, it's three. But my editor was like, "Mm, uh, you're missing a syllable in this one. So I, on one of the poems in The Love Around Us, I had to change it. And I was, I got to tell you, I did it with like my arms crossed and I was pretty (laughs) grumpy about it. And I didn't like the choice, but I did it. And so I share what the original one is in Mysteriously. Your editor sounds like a person who writes dictionary definitions. Like they, <laughs> they get it right down to the syllable. Yeah. And so many people on my list at, at one point when I was making the decision, you know, about just leaving some of these in, because some of the really early ones too, it'd be like, I guess, I don't know if I wasn't, I couldn't count or I just didn't care. or I figured nobody was looking. <laughs> I don't know. I, but some of them were like, wow, that is, that is not even remotely close to 575. And then I'd try and make it work and nothing doing. So I kept it. I was like, all right, this week I'm writing a haiku about the people who want to count the syllables. Because if that's all they're doing, then they might be missing the point. I wondered if you would take us out with a poem of your own. What force leads us through a crowded forest of fears? Curiosity. You know, there's a tension in that poem that seems unresolved to me. <laughs> but that's the thing, right? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of up to us. That's part of what Mysteriously is like. It's a little bit, it asks a little more of the reader in some ways. Like watercolor rendered words are very atmospheric and very much about the natural world. And and I think they paint very ready-made pictures for the reader and then, you know, like leave us in the now is, is more about how we experience the present moment. And, and that can be place, time or company we keep, but these poems and mysteriously are like some ways, almost like a Zen cone. Mysteriously watercolor rendered words and leave us in the now are three works of haiku from Lolly Bond, who's back with us, and we call him friends. You were with us last year, and just an amazing amount of work, and 
hats off to you because just like I think the timing of your book last year, The Love Around Us, was perfectly timed, I think these poems will be as well. So thank you so much, Lolly, for coming back to Word. Oh, my gosh. Thank you, Tom. It's always a treat to not only get to talk to you, but to listen to you. I just I love this podcast and KJZZ both. Take care, stay safe and be well. Thanks. You too. You can find out a bit more about Lolly Bond on our website, word.kjzz.org. I'm Tom Maxidon, and you're listening to Word, a podcast about literature in Arizona and the region. Hey, it's Peter Sagal. Some people think that smart speakers are a futuristic surveillance device straight out of George Orwell, constantly monitoring you as you engage in your most private actions and conversations. Well, they are. But did you know they're also a radio? That's right. You can ask your smart speaker to play NPR to hear your local station and all your favorite NPR shows. And it will. It will also report you to the central ministry. But why not enjoy yourself while you still can? You have your favorites. Oh, man, my favorite mug. And maybe it's about time to treat yourself to a new favorite. Mugs and t-shirts for you and the family are at shop.kjzz.org. So what are you waiting for? Welcome back to Word. I'm Tom Maxidon. Last and certainly not least, KJZZ's annual haiku writing contest ended last Friday. Our theme this year was things that bring you hope or joy. Robin Whalen lives in Mesa and is an avid poet. She's also this year's randomly selected winner from hundreds of entries. Heading into last weekend, I broke some news to her. Hello? Hi, I'm trying to reach Robin. This is Tom from KJZZ. Speaking. Hi, Robin. How are you? I'm well. Robin, I just wanted to congratulate you because you are the winner of KJZZ's Haiku Writing Contest. Congratulations. Awesome. How do you feel? <laughs> Amazed. It sounds like somebody else is happy in the background. Who's that? They're my muses <laughs> the two hours. And Robin, if you don't mind me asking, what's your professional background? I was a nurse for 30 years. God bless. And I tap into that when I write because... Um, it is a source of both angst and happiness. So I tap into that as well as anything else I can find from hot summer days in Arizona to, you know, to cold days in Arizona to whatever I can find. We received a lot of submissions that focused on nature, whether that was sort of human nature, mother nature. Of course, we got poems about dogs, poems about children. What was the inspiration for your poem? Arizona Citrus is the title. I had just come in from picking some citrus in my neighbor's yard. And when I was picking it, the mandarin was so scented. I put it in the bag, but I pulled it out and I just undid it right then and there. And that's when I looked <laughs> at it. And I, I, I put it in my mouth, and of course, juice is dripping everywhere. And it was that quick moment where I looked at it, and I looked at all this lacy kind of pith that you have to take off. But it, it was too lacy to remove. It was just beautiful. 
so anyway, that was the origin, or that was the um, the inspiration for it. And when I went to the tree, all of the mandarins that were really, really ripe and heavy were at the bottom. And so that's that was sort of the inspiration for all these mandarins just barely touching the ground. So, yeah. <laughs> so thanks to my neighbor, that's what came up. It's amazing how you condense that much visualization that you're just talking about into three lines. I wonder if you would read it for us. Okay. Arizona citrus. Sagging mandarins. Gently picked barehanded from my neighbor's tree. Robin, I want to thank you so much for your time and thank you for entering the haiku contest. Take care. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. (laughs) Thanks to everyone who submitted a haiku for KJZZ's contest, and congratulations again to our winner, Robin Whelan from Mesa. Portions of this program have been nominated for an Edward R. Murrow Award and Public Media Journalists Association Award. We'll be back in April for another episode of Word, in which we'll be spotlighting poems and poets of all stripes to celebrate National Poetry Month. NPR, BBC Programming, KJZZ News and original podcasts are driven and overwhelmingly funded by members. Regular monthly contributions made by individual listeners provide the largest share of funding for fact-based journalism, international, national, regional, and local news, as well as entertaining programming for discerning radio listeners like you via multiple platforms, radio, online, mobile app, or even a smart speaker please consider making a monthly contribution of $10, $20, or maybe $50 per month to reliably fund the perfect mix of BBC, NPR, and KJZZ News by investing in the future of public radio. I'm Tom Maxidon, and thanks so much for your gift of support. Word. Word? Word. Was the word. Thanks for listening to Word, a podcast about literature in Arizona and the region. You can find all episodes online at word.kjzz.org or wherever you get your podcasts.